Welcome to the post-Michael Price Goodspeed Opera House and Theme Park, where we are proud to present the kind of programming Michael never let us do. Tonight, two of Broadway's greatest composers, Stephen Sondheim and Sting, join forces to present Star Wars the Musical, Turn Off the Force, featuring Justin Bieber as Luke Skywalker, Lena Dunham as Princess Leia, The Situation as Han Solo, and the Reverend Al Sharpton as Yoda. Thanks to our friends at the Disney Corporation, your seats will move and tilt to simulate a thrilling ride on the Millennium Falcon. So to get the action rolling, let's give a warm East Haddam welcome to tonight's Masters of Ceremonies, Kim Kardashian and Bono. Stop, stop, please make it stop. Honey, honey, you're having a dream. Oh my God, I was dreaming that the American musical had become totally corrupted, taken over by mediocre pop stars and festooned with glitz and smarm as a substitute for craft. Oh, well, that actually did happen. <gasps> I knew it! But not at East Haddam. Not even now that Michael Price is gone. They still reach for the brightest star in the sky. In fact, that reminds me of a song Lindsay Lohan sings in her new Goodspeed musical. When I was in rehab, I reached for the pills on the highest shelf, but my hand closed around a star. No, 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 no. Is this a dream, too? I'm afraid not. But today, Michael Price is on the show to talk about what it's like to produce more than 316,250 musicals. And now he was up for the role of Kim Jong-un in the new Goodspeed adaptation of the interview, Colin McEnroe. I feel as though, yeah, I, I was actually at the Goodspeed on Saturday night, and I actually had to keep reminding myself, literally, this is actually true, I had to keep reminding myself that the Goodspeed was st still going to be there next year, that despite the fact that Michael Price is now retiring, that there would still be a Goodspeed, because I... Over the course of many decades, I, I am not able to separate in my mind Michael Price and the Goodspeed. I mean, if one is not there, then the other one. That's be because there. you were in kindergarten when we, when we started, <laughs> you know, and now you're in, in knickers. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and the other thing I was thinking on Saturday night when I was at the Goodspeed, Michael Price is sitting here with me right now, is that, you know, over all these decades in the 316,250 musicals, which Michael has staged uh, at the Goodspeed, um, mainly he's just been making people happy. Uh, I, I was watching Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn is the musical that's playing there. The first act of Holiday Inn is about as happy as you can get. I mean, uh, by the end of that first act, I was my face hurt from smiling. Um, I was just completely, mindlessly, joyously happy. That's got to be a pretty good way to spend. I mean, you must be pretty happy about the, how happy. I mean, musicals make people happy. I mean, is that, is that why you do them? Is that why you've no, done so many no, of them? Well, Colin, I only do it to make you happy. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, that you liked it yes. is amazing who, to me. Who are all these you other know, people who were there? I just, uh, I, no, that's what I kept count. wondering. <laughs> no, I, it was only you. Because I was very worried about coming here today, so to make you happy Saturday night was very important. Yeah. You know? I mean, but that is true, right? I mean, at the at the end of, I hit the phrase at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, You've done a good job when you've made thousands and thousands and thousands of people happy over the course of a theater season, right? Is that is that why you do it to make people happy? Why 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 do musicals? Well, you know, we, we do them because they they do something for us personally. You know, mm -hmm. Those who who are on the artistic side of the theater, we do it for ourselves to 
to create good high art of musical theater. And then on the business side of ourselves, we do it because we want to sell tickets to the next production that we're doing uh, so that we can do the next production we're doing. Uh, so, you know, as a producer, you're sort of, on the one hand, the artist. On the other hand, you're the whore who wants to sell something, you know. That's all. That's a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> That's great, a lovely you know. sentiment. So uh, Michael and I, as you can probably tell, have known each other for a very, very, very long time. Uh, and it's been my privilege, uh, like everybody else, to come down to the good speed and see all kinds of uh, incredible musicals. He is finally uh, hanging it up. No one can believe it. No one can imagine the future. Uh, we hope it isn't like that guy's dream, though. Uh, and as we go along here, if you want to call in, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. So you really, the truth is you've done more than 250 musicals, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah, and 75 of them have been world premieres, right? right? And 19 of them have transferred to Broadway. Is that right. the right number? Yeah, some good, some bad, you know, <laughs> some successful, some flops, you know. Well, I mean, successful Successful would be Annie. I mean, Annie's is as successful well, as, the, as you can get. That's the, the premier, you know, success for us. Yeah. And so um, I was just in uh, communication over the last couple of days. After I saw Holiday Inn, I was in touch with my friend David Edelstein, who's the uh, film critic for New York Magazine, and who's now coming to see Holiday Inn because I shamed him into it. Wow. Um, is he paying for his tickets? I think he might be paying oh, for okay, his tickets. Great. I, I, I will assume get my usual 10%. Okay. Um, um, but um, and he was saying that he's, he actually ha- was there for the first preview of Annie at the Goodspeed Opera House, oh. and he was thinking he, he said, "Okay, this is not going to work. I'm going to be stuck with that song tomorrow in my head, but the show is not going to work." Um, and no, I mean that must have been my inter- my I wasn't there. That was before I sort of got to know the Goodspeed. But that was a chaotic undertaking, right? To get that show. This original show, Thomas Meehan, Martin Charnin, Charles Charles Strauss, Charles Strauss, yeah, Charles Strauss, Strauss, get their work up on stage. I've heard stories that like even like the sets were kind of out in the alleyways outside the the building that you there was like no room to put put everything that was going to go on stage. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough go. We we overproduced the show. <laughs> Martin overdirected the show. We opened it uh, 24 hours after a hurricane struck. You know, uh, it didn't go in well. Walter Kerr came to the first performance, the first preview, mm. wrote in the New York Times, "Ain't crossing the river." You know, <laughs> so it, you know it didn't go very far. You know, but but what we did was uh, 10 days later, mm. we invited everyone who came to that uh, that disaster mm-hmm. uh, to come back, including Malcolm Johnson, uh, mm. who is who is, in my mind, a really wonderful critic. Mm. And uh, they came back, and Malcolm said, well, maybe there is something Mm. here after all. Had you done the cast change by then? McArdle, McArdle, she wasn't Annie at first, right? Right. The cast change with McArdle uh, came uh, before before that first performance. Okay. But, yeah, you you pulled her out of the ensemble to, to play the role. Right. And then you got Sandy in Newington, right? At the Sandy end. came from the Newington Pound. Bill Berloni picked him up for thirty-five bucks. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the season, we sent. Uh, we said, "Well, what the hell are we going to do with this dog?" You know. So we sent it home with Berloni, and uh, Billy then became, you know, the preeminent uh, animal trainer, uh, including he did Nana on the Peter Pan on television last week. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a that was a good Nana too. I mean, Nana Nana got the job done. Absolutely better Can't, than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Walken should have been as razor sharp as, as Nana was that night. Yeah. Uh, so um, so as you as that's running as the show's running, are you starting to think? Wait a minute, this this could go to New York. I mean, were were you thinking during the run in East Haddam, this is bigger than? No, we were thinking that it could be better, and we kept. Um, 
we kept working on the show. Every time, every dark day, we threw out more scenery and uh, <laughs> threw out more musical numbers, and uh, we're honing it down. And until Mike Nichols came one day to see it and said, "Hmm, maybe there is something here." He's the one that really saw the potential for New York. He, but he came like the last weekend, I think, and Ab- some, somebody was begging him. I forget who it was. But uh, uh, yes, it was. Um, but yeah, some, somebody, I, right. one of his friends, had been nagging him, right. and, I, and I, Nichols, who was then living in Cornwall or someplace like that. Right. He, he he said that Connecticut's like only a hundred miles wide, but somehow or other it took three and a half hours to drive from where he lived right. to the to good speed. And he did. I think he initially said to you, "I'm not a producer." I, I you know. No, but he brought a lot. I mean, he brought he brought the sharpness of the show and the balance to it, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of taste. Uh, he he brought a lot to it, and he brought the money, and he brought the theater owner, and uh, I mean, his name attracted a lot of good stuff for it. All right. Um, Actually, we've got somebody else, I think, on the phone right now that you brought to Broadway. Hey, Wolfie, could you just uh, – we are going to make that little flip here. Could you just uh, give us a few bars of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend? Pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old and we all lose our charms in the end. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks won't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. All right, so uh, KT Sullivan's on the line with us, uh, and uh, I think the year KT was it 1994? Is that the year you did you did Diamonds? It was good at good speed. It was good at good speed. <laughs> so, what, what's your uh, major recollection of Michael Price besides being yelled at constantly? Oh no, no, he was good to me. He liked me. He believed in my talent, and and uh, we had a wonderful uh, cast. There were George Dvorsky and and Frantic, and and it was um, it was and, and Charlie Rappelli directing. It was sort of a charm production. At good speed, and Michael believed it, and and so did David Richards from the New York Times, who came to see it, <laughs> and so did Tony Randall, who put it in his theater. His um, he was there at the live team at the time, uh, and then the New York Times changed critics for our opening, unfortunately, on Broadway, but it it remained to be a, a, a good, a, a wonderful experience. And and Michael would come backstage, see me, and sit in my dressing room, and be very encouraging. Really, even, even a bumpy ride. And that year, I must say, that was the year that Good Speed got a Tony Award for um, regional productions, right, Michael? No, that was the year I think we got the, the Tony Award for uh, for our contribution to the American musical. Uh, yeah, they, we got two it, of them, one for the yeah. regional theater and that one. KT, yeah. they use Tony's okay. there to just prop up wobbly tables. They just uh, slide yeah. a Tony <laughs> underneath. But hey, it's yeah, great so you to hear some, you. you some, but, you know, well. you, have to, you have to say, you know, KT was not only uh, the star of the show, but she is America's preeminent cabaret performer today. And she's also wow. the artistic director of the Maple Mercer Foundation now. Well, thank you. You guys are keeping up on things here. <laughs> well, we've got to keep up with you. <laughs> well, KT, it's, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, and so, Michael, is it really true that you would go and say encouraging things? Is that something, is that part of your service to go to the dressing room and say you're going to be great? Yeah, but I do other things in the dressing rooms too, you know. I mean, yeah. it, it was before, uh, after KT when <laughs> I used you, What do you mean? You dress up in their clothes? Well, what are you no, saying? No, what no, are you no, saying? Now you I come to the dressing rooms <laughs> and I knock on the door uh, every night that I'm in the theater and I say, uh, New York Times is here tonight. Don't uh, blank it up. Blank it up. Yeah. <laughs> Beep it up, you know. Um, and then I tell them, tell the actors that they were adequate afterwards. You know, so. Yeah, well, you, it, it was a big, big smile and a big encouraging smile. But I must say, Clive Barnes, who was writing Post at the time, liked it. Yes. Uh, it's just, we know the power of the New York Times. We couldn't overcome it. But 
we had a wonderful cast, and we, we stayed together. Um, and but but that was that bucolic time. I must say, at at a good speed. It's nothing like it. it's enchanted. And um, who knows? Someday I might be able to come back and do something else there. And, and I'll but come and buy a can... ticket to see you. Yeah, he, he has. He's going to have to. <laughs> he has to pay for his seats from Michael, now on, KT. I I can't believe it. It won't be the same without you, Michael. Well, um, thank you, my dear. You're. And you have you have some. And Sue is now a big. Probably producer, isn't she? Right now, Sue has moved Frost, on. She yeah. did uh, Sue Frost. She did Memphis and won a Tony Award for it. And she's producing mm-hmm. uh, the incoming Doctor Zhivago this year. Oh wow! Uh, so. that's, that's a big production. I'm yeah. another producer that one. Well, KT, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for calling in today. Seems like old times. <laughs> All right. Uh, once a singer, always a singer. KT Sullivan. Actually, when KT Sullivan and Karen Prunzik were in that show in 1994, that's the most fun I ever had with a the cast. They, they kind of were all over Connecticut in their spare time, too, and having, having a lot of fun partying with the rest of us. All right, and there was a lot of backstage drama, too, which we won't be talking about today. Anyway, our number, 860-275-7266. We're with Michael Price, who is inexplicably and impossibly leaving the good speed uh, after uh, years of just uh, incredible merrymaking uh, and, uh, and wonderful musicals for all of us. Now, it must be the case. One thing that you, I think, have done very effectively is uh, you're in East Haddam. You have a limited number of seats. Um, it's going to be pretty hard for you to pay for the most famous person on Broadway to come in there. But I feel like you buy low and sell high. There must be a lot of people who've gone on to be big stars in broad- on Broadway. Well, I mean, the most obvious example is Richard Kiley, who became Richard Kiley right. as a result of doing Man of La Mancha. Um, well, the, the number of directors, actors, uh, designers that start with us, mm-hmm. that uh, are, are early career folks with us, and now who come back and do work with us is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're very lucky to have them in every respect. So, I mean, for example, I mean, I was even just uh, soliciting from, from other people on your staff some names. So, Kristen Chenoweth, she passed through there? Kristen Chenoweth, we gave her equity card, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was she... she what was she doing? What was do you, well, know, do you remember I the show? I think it was the American Backstage Musical, and which uh, was, wasn't a great show, but you know she was in it and she did a great job. And she, I think, also did uh, Chocolate Soldier with us as well. Uh-huh. So, uh, and then her opposite number in Wicked, Adina Menzel, also. Adina Menzel did a did a show with us in uh, at our Chester Theater at the Little Theater called uh, Summer of Forty Two, mm-hmm. and now that's those are two really classy, warm, wonderful ladies. Yeah. Great, and, and then they, of course, they're then they're teamed up together and wicked together. So um, they're wo- wonderful people. I'm amazed that uh, Norma Terrace, which is a wonderful and uh, intimate, tiny little theater in Chester, could contain Adina Menzel's voice. I mean, didn't she just damage the roof or something every she night? She knocked him out. She could hit the back wall. She could hit the back wall at the Norma Terrace. All right, home run. Um, and so, I mean, I just, you know, running through the list. Well, um, in, in terms of composers, it's just it's not unusual to run into a composer there on the campus of uh, the Good Speed. I run into Jerry Herman on this or that night, Stephen Schwartz on this or that night. And it, right. it seems like once they, you know, KT just used the word bucolic. I mean, the Good Speed is this really, really beautiful place. And I, I suppose that makes it tempting to be there and tempting to come back, too. I mean, you had, you know, Leonard Bernstein came uh, to see his show and to give us notes on the productions. Okay, you got to uh, stop there. Cause that's going to be a little bit intimidating. Now, which Bernstein show was it? Uh, on the Town. On the Town, okay. Yeah. And so, I don't know, Lenny giving you notes? Was it, was it kind of, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was nice? Yeah. 
mean, yeah. he he was happy. He wasn't. Yeah, well, first Camden and Green came, and then we got Lenny after uh, L- Lenny, Mr. Bernstein. <laughs> Camden and Green were by. We, you know, they were Adolf, uh, you know, and Betty. And Betty but yeah. but well, when when Bernstein came, it was Mr. Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. And and and. Uh, Mr. Rogers, Richard Rogers came yep. often. I mean, he he was there frequently in our early years. And you know, I, I, you're obviously in a, a very beneficent mood these days and everything. Richard Rogers could be rather dark and stormy, um, but was he just always happy and sunny there in East Hampton? Well, I was his stage manager when we opened uh, the Music <laughs> Theater of Lincoln Center yeah. at the State Theater in 1964. Mm-hmm. It's now called the Coke Theater, by the way. Yeah. Uh, nothing you could do about that. No, nothing I could do about that. Uh, and so. We had a good relationship dating back to that year. To, and when, when he came, he was always very nice. And he would call and, uh, how are things going? And I would tell him, well, I don't think this song works. And he would say, well, go to the warehouse and get something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he and the family often came, especially for the Rogers and Hart pieces. We, yeah. uh, yeah. um, you know, this, as long as we're on this subject, this is something I wanted to talk about as, as we go along here today. I, it, it does seem, and when you look at sort of um, – the, the period shows that you've done. And, and then you've obviously worked very, very hard to cultivate and develop new American musicals, both at Norma Terrace, and then there's a new American Play Festival uh, in, uh, in January that I'm going to be involved in this year. Um, you, you've done as much as anybody uh, to, to, to keep that going. On the other hand, it does feel as though the Rogers and Hart, the Cole Porter, the uh, Jerome Kern, uh, the you know the Gershwin stuff. I mean, obviously, that was the popular music of its age. It didn't have right. to compete with a with a world of commercial music that wasn't show music. Is that the re? I mean, they're as good as anybody is these days. Nobody's as good as that, and nobody except possibly Sondheim looms as large in the public imagination as those people did. I mean, you must think about that and, and why that is. Well, I mean, it's not – the music – the popular music of today is not on the stage. Right. Uh, it's on radio. It's in the uh, arenas. It's on uh, your iPod. Um, so it's – the music that is popular is in the musical theater is not played and replayed. Um, you get a song or two from Wicked. You get something, but you know the shows like Mormon, which is the biggest show on Broadway today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't hear that on the, you don't hear those songs. True, people and aren't humming the songs when they leave the theater, but they've had a fabulous time. I think people are. I, I think Lopez is actually a good songwriter. I mean, he's yes, maybe he not, he's not Gershwin, but he's. I think. I mean, I was. I did leave the theater hum, humming those songs, oh. which is not always the case. You have a better ear than I do. Well, yeah. that's not necessarily true either, but. Uh, but my tickets were half price, so I was in a really good mood. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll bet they were half price. <laughs> you know, you know what I did. This is I, this is completely boring, but um, um, it was a very tough ticket. Yeah. And um, we were there, and there's like a six o'clock. They would have this lottery where everybody puts their names in, right? And then they draw names, and you get your ticket. And you, I mean, the thing sold out. Otherwise, you right. you'd ha- you can't get a ticket. But at six o'clock, they do this they do this drawing, and if your name gets pulled out, you a get usually like a front row seat, and b it's half price. Oh, that's great. So or maybe even me in less than half price. So I won the lottery. I was so happy. And then I thought it was a thoroughly entertaining. I was entertained all the way through. I don't wouldn't put it on at the good speed. Mormon, Mormon, I went to see twice, all within a week. <laughs> my my wife and I went to see it early previews, and uh, we loved it. And I had spent three years in Salt Lake City, so it made it even more, uh, <laughs> you know, pressing for me. And uh, I called Scott Rudin, and I said, Scott, do you think I could come back? And it hadn't opened yet, and mm-hmm. so he said, Sure. Yeah. So I got another pair of tickets and went back. 
You didn't have to do the lottery. No. No, you know Scott Rudin, though. And, uh, well, Scott, he, Rudin, Scott Rudin is a great guy. And he's he's had something to do with – have you partnered with him on stuff? Or no, but his partner, mm. his, his spouse mm. – uh, uh, John Barlow mm. started with us. He started coming to Goodspeed from Waterbury. He yeah. started at age nine, coming to the Goodspeed, and ended up as an intern. And then, of course, he became one of the top press agents in New York. All right. We're talking to Michael Price right now. We're going to grab a break. And uh, they're trying to tell me something. I can't figure out what that is, but we're going to tell stories when we come back. You will pick out all your clothes. Green. No, blue is their color, I think. Your bath is run by Mrs. Greer. So, no bubbles, I think. Annette comes in to make your bed. The silk sheets. No, the satin sheets, I think. I think I'm gonna like it here. All right, we're back. Michael Price, Michael Price is in studio. With me, uh, Michael Price is uh, retiring after 75 years of running the Goodspeed. I don't know how long you've been. Uh, yeah, 47 years. 47 years, Michael. Yeah. Uh, of running the Goodspeed. Um, just to sort of put it uh, in, in, in more numerical terms, uh, this is from the article uh, in the New York Times. The company uh, Michael inherited had three full-time employees when he took over, a season that ran about two months, and a budget under $500,000. This year, it has 65 year-round employees, a $12.5 million budget. A lot of that is for Michael sweaters, but still. Uh, and uh, performance is stretching from April to December. It's 33 buildings are scattered through three towns. It's a major employer at East Haddam. It's also one of the town's top taxpayers, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so we, uh, we have a call. Actually, we'll put, we'll put this call on from Irene, our number 860-275-7266. This is Irene in Norwich. Hi, Irene. Are you there? Hi. Yes, Irene. Hi, Colin and Michael. Um, my first job was a 16-year-old working as an usherette for Michael Price, and uh, we loved every minute of it. My family had just moved up to Haddam from New York and uh, in 1969, and in the early 70s, my sisters and I were usherettes. We were paid $2 a performance. We loved every minute of it. We tried to memorize all the lines, of course. And um, back then, Michael was producing Peter Pan with Nancy DeSalt, hmm. and uh, he, my father tells me this story, he, that Michael worried about the cable not holding Peter Pan. It might not be safe. <laughs> that is an important thing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and so he called my dad, because my, Jim Matthews, because he knew that he had oh, a business yeah. back then and where he worked with cables, and he had invented a wire stripper tool. And he asked my father if he could come to the opera house and, uh, and just to make it safe. And my father was thrilled. He came up and made sure that uh, Nancy DeSalt wasn't going to come crashing to the stage floor. So I... Uh, that was just a little story my father told the other day. And uh, I want to thank you for the memories, Michael, and uh, give you all the best best wishes for the future. Well, uh, you know, thank you for, for mentioning uh, your father's name because, uh, you know, we're, all of our production shops now are on Matthews Drive in the yeah. industrial <laughs> park that he developed, which oh. is just great. Wow. Yeah, it's a small world. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So he never, you. He, uh, he never yelled at you at all or anything, Eileen? No, he did not. The only thing I remember <laughs> about him not approving of us, uh, this was – of course, about 1970 or so, I re distinctly remember him calling all of us into his office. He sat back at his desk, put his hand up to, to hide his smile, and he kind of shook his head at the looks of us. And soon after that, I think he, did, he uh, invested in some uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I think they're now ushers, uh, uh, not usheress, but they still get $2 a show, I think. So. <laughs> no, 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 we actually pay... <laughs> That was a joke. That was a joke. I know that. <laughs> we loved it. We felt very, very um, honored to have that job. We were very fortunate. 
<laughs> All right. Well, listen, thanks so much for that call. We're talking to Michael Price right now. So, you see, you know what your good stories are, and I don't know what your good stories are. I do know, like, my stories with you. So I do – I think one of the first significant encounters that we had was during Little Johnny Jones, George M. Cohan musical. You were staging. We did wind up going on a, this fabulous tour and going into New York later uh, with first with David Cassidy uh, and and then with uh, Donny Osmond. No, in New York. first with Tom Hulse. Well, I was coming yeah. to that part. All right, first, all right, first with, So right, Tom Tom yeah. Tom Hulse could kick me out of a rehearsal. Uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> he kicked me out of rehearsal because, in fact, Thomas Hulse could not dance, and that, that was that's a problem. You're doing a George M. Cohan right. musical, and you can't dance. That's a problem. And I, was it Dan Serretta? Was he the choreographer on that? Yes, he yeah. was. So yeah. Serretta was trying to get him ready. And I uh, had the run of the plays back in those days. I was working on a big feature article about this musical. And Thomas Hall suddenly realized that I was sitting there. I was somebody from the press watching him not be able to learn his choreography. And so he, he, uh, he kicked me out of the rehearsal. And you actually made him apologize to me. Oh, I was a mean guy <laughs> making him do that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you were nice to me anyway. I appreciate yeah. it. I didn't really need to be apologized to, but you, but you did. Um, but th- this brings up, you, you actually have, I think, had a reputation for caring about the press, caring about critics. I mean, not that other producers don't, but um, it reviews, you, I think you have always felt that reviews and how you're perceived in the press, how the productions, the plays are perceived in the press are really important. And and. Critics are important to you, or critics were important to you. I mean, maybe it was well, a critics, golden age. Of I mean, a, a good critic can be a very, very helpful individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Elliot Norton in Boston uh, uh, was one of the great critics uh, in in American theater because when you took a show to Boston on tryout, Elliot sat down with after he wrote his review, mm-hmm. he sat down with you, and he was a great dramaturg, mm-hmm. a great help to us. Uh, the same thing with Walter Kerr, Clive Barnes. I mean, these were men of the—they're—they're they're built of the cloth of the theater, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a lot to offer us. Um, you, you mentioned Malcolm Johnson before. Malcolm Johnson, of course, was the theater critic for the Hartford Current for Wonderful many years. Critic. I was, for many years, Archie Goodwin to his Nero Wolf. Uh, and uh, but one of the things that I remember was that <laughs> that you had this theory. You had a theory that if. Okay, when you're at the good speed, let me just first of all set the stage for the listeners. So there's this beautiful staircase uh, at the at the good speed, which you one walks up to get to one seat, either in the orchestra or further up in the mezzanine. Uh, beautiful with you know lovely lush carpet uh, spilling down it. And then at the end of the night, uh, you walk down the staircase. And should you be so fortunate to be there in a night when Michael Price is in the house, he's there at the bottom of the staircase to wish you well and accept your thanks for a lovely evening, etc. But there's also the option of taking an elevator, which is at the back of the theater, where you don't walk down that staircase and you just take the elevator down and you can sort of slink out. And you had this theory that if Malcolm took the elevator, that meant he didn't like the show. And you would call us the next day and say, he took the elevator. He didn't like it. Well, you got a great memory. Yes. Or he went down the fire escape, you know. Uh, you know but, there, yeah, there was the fear that if I didn't see him come down the grand staircase that it was a negative notice. Yeah. But that, uh, Malcolm insisted that was not true, that sometimes he just – either for one reason or another did not feel like – Oh, that's not true. <laughs> You're the only, you think he, he was – I still believe in those tales, you know. That's true. That he was yeah. trying to avoid you. Yeah. yeah. You know. But, but, you know, Malcolm was very interesting because early in Malcolm's relationship with the good speed, um, he took the theater to task once. And I said, Malcolm, you can take the show to task, never take the theater because it's not like a Broadway house where the tenants come and go. I said, we have to, we're going to be here next week and we're going to produce another show. Mm-hmm. So you can dislike the show, but please don't dislike the theater because we're the, 
you know, we need our, we need you. We were part of the bread and butter of this whole operation. Mm. And he did. He, he changed just ever so slightly uh, the way he would review a show. But, of course, we kept him out of the Chester Theater. That's right. He didn't get to go there, yeah. <laughs> no critics at all. And, you know, I, and I, first of all, I think that's really a, a great thing. Uh, the Chester Theater, once again, the Norma Terrace, this is where sort of brand new shows try out. Uh, and I'm going to talk for a while because Michael just aspirated some of his coffee. So, uh, <laughs> so th- this new show's tryout. And, and by the way, I like I haven't been to the Norman Terrace enough. I, it's a mistake not to go there and see this stuff because a lot of times you really do see amazing things, and you will see the next Adina Menzel. Except you won't be paying $150 for your seat. Uh, you'll be paying whatever they charge at the Norman Terrace. Uh, and so it, it's just it's a, a fabulous place to go. I wanted to ask you if there were one or two shows out of all of these hundreds and hundreds of shows that you are especially proud of. I know they're all like your children. You don't want to pick one. And No, I, I would say that uh, all in all, they are all my children. Uh, there's some that uh, you know are overrated by the public and by the press that I would slink away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, not slink away, but they're not my favorites. What do you think was underrated? Uh, well, my favorite show of all time is the Red Bluegrass Western Flyer Show, which I kept wanting to reproduce again. Uh, it was directed by John Cullum. It had David Keith of an officer and gentleman in it, yeah. Bob Gunton, the original uh, uh, Perone from uh, uh, Evita. Mm. It was a great company, but my staff never let me do it again. I mean, they just didn't. And it was headed for Broadway until uh, Ed Wilson of the Wall Street Journal came up and did a thumbs down, and everybody said, oh, no, no, maybe it's not so right for Broadway. Has anybody else ever done that show? Yeah, uh, it was done once in Texas afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Who, like something with you, I don't even. I don't know the show. It was seventy-seven. It was before it had, I started. It dealt with the. It dealt with the Grand Old Opry, and yeah. uh, it was it was a wonderful. Might piece. be the right time, but not for the Goodspeed. You have no clout at the Goodspeed anymore. No, but I have you, no when you could get it, at all. You could get it someplace else, though. Does I, the Does the book exist? Is everything is somewhere? Yeah, I mean, the authors are both dead, so we could do what we wanted to with the show. <laughs> I, you know, I know people. You know, <laughs> uh, no. I mean, it might be. I, I don't. I don't. Who the composers? Anybody? Anybody would have heard of the songwriters? I no, mean, no. These are no. unknowns. All right. Well, there's. So um, one of my favorites. I, I just want to say this is. Um, uh, you know, a little night music is a hard musical. It's an easy musical to get wrong. You know, the Sondheim, You didn't do a lot of Sondheim typically there anyway. Um, and if you don't do it right, it's it's not going to be a, a good evening. Right. I thought the version you did of A Little Night Music, which is like maybe 14, 14 years ago, I think it was right. early, early 2000s somehow, it was, I thought it was amazing. It just, and I love the musical. I saw it with Len Cariou and Glynis Johns and all this. I thought the Goodspeed's version was every bit as good in a much tighter kind of chamber way, you know, but every bit as good as the Broadway one. It uh, was a wonderful production, and uh, our audiences loved that show. And it was uh, one of the more popular pieces over the years. Yeah, no, it was amazing. So, it was. Yeah. I, I walked out of there thinking, "Wow!" You know, and and the reason I tell that story is because I wanted to see something nice before I bring up the worst musical I've ever I ever saw at the Good Speed. Which one? <laughs> Zapata. Oh, well. <laughs> you you missed our our production of the Boys from Syracuse. Uh-huh. <laughs> But no, Zapata might be an example. I mean, really, we are here to celebrate your life and your achievements and stuff. Zapata might be an example where a bunch of guys from the West Coast came in and talked you into something. This was Harry Nilsson was involved and Burt Convy and one of the writers from MASH. And, I, I, and Ringo Starr came to see it. Ringo Starr came to see yeah. it. 
and um, did, did, did you have a moment? Donna Murphy yeah. uh, was in it and, right. she, and, and married uh, the Zapata herself. You Sh- know? Sean Elliott was Sean Elliott, yeah. yeah, having a little trouble with his voice at that point in his career, I think. Yeah. Did you? I mean, if, when that's up right now, I'm not trying to get you to speak ill of Zapata. Uh, for all I know, it's your third favorite musical you ever did. But are there? I mean, there must be once in a while. You did do 250 shows. Once in a while, you must be walking in there holding your head, going, "What was I thinking?" Well, that's when I don't show up at the theater every night. <laughs> <laughs> I stay home. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are there are quite a few of those. Uh, no, not quite a few, but not there are, there's a number of them. That yeah. uh, why do we do it? And we did it for you know one reason or another because maybe the audition tape was great and you played it in the car often mm. enough. Uh, today it's a CD, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I want to talk to you about sort of you for a second. My perception of you is that you have changed. That you that there is a mellower Michael Price than I remember. I think I first met you around 1980, uh, and I think I described you in print as a terrier of a man. A little knowing that you would actually have terriers, Wheaton terriers, in your life later. But you know, you had kind of a bark uh, when I first met you, and I sense a mellower, sweeter Michael Price, whom I have noticed over the past decade or so. I mean, would you say does that sound right to you? Yeah, I actually, I uh, you know, there was my conversion on the road to, Ma- to Damascus. Oh, no, not from Jew to Christian, but uh, 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 it was about uh, 2000 and 2001 mm. when uh, I thought I was in trouble as a, uh, as a manager, as a producer, and I sought some help from uh, an uh, industrial psychologist at the Yale School of Management. Mm-hmm. And I went to him and I said, look, I think I'm in trouble. And when you say in trouble, you mean just because you weren't getting along with people, or because no, because I, I mean you were successful. I mean you've yeah, you're the, always successful. Yeah, but the job the job was becoming overwhelming to me, mm. and uh, and I was worried if I could keep it up. And mm. uh, uh, he was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you learned that you could put yeah, into a he nutshell? Told me, nutshell? He told me it's going to be painful, but you have to trust in other people and um, and, and let go. Delegate. Yeah, let it go. Delegate. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I think that's, that, that rings true because, you ha- I mean, look, you have a reputation as kind of a perfectionist. I mean, I read somebody, I can't remember whether it was Darko or somebody said, yeah, he yells at us, but it turns out he yells at us because he wants everything to be great. It has to be fabulous. You know, if you, it, if it's, if you don't, if you don't care that much, then you don't get what Michael Price has gotten over the years. But another part of that was you, you were kind of in control of every single little facet of your operation. Right. And after after my encounter with David Berg at the Yale School of Management, I uh, I called the senior staff into the office and I said, "Okay, here's how we're going to function." Um, and uh, to put it in my own words and the way we did, it, I said, uh, "If you screw it up, my office is the first place you come and tell me that you screwed it up." And I was I have only two things I could say: How can I help you? Or let it go. Mm-hmm. And it took them uh, six or eight months to uh, trust in me, and it took me <laughs> nine or ten months to trust in them. <laughs> and it's been it's been a joy ever since then. Yeah, a more relaxed Michael Press. All right, let's grab uh, another call here. Uh, this is Francis in Greenwich. Hi, Francis. Hi. Um, I want to talk about a wonderfully funny show that I saw many years ago. It was a spoof on the uh, TV courtroom. Um, Judges, uh, right. do you remember it? Do you remember yes, it was at the at the Norma Terrace Theater, and it was Cy Coleman and uh, Paul Newman's uh, friend. Um, oh, uh, A. E. Hockner. A. Hotch. Yeah, and by, uh, Cy Coleman and Hotch, and it was a lot of fun. 
and uh, it was a show that uh, Hotch and Cy had done several times over, and every time they did it, they had a different title for it. <laughs> and we finally got it to the point where we thought it would be great. And uh, it wasn't Broadway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't meant to be Broadway. But we thought we would do it at the uh, Bar Association building in New York and just kept running it. Uh, and it just didn't happen. But it was a, it was a great fun piece to do. Um, you know, the, one of the things, one of the shows that you've done recently that I think people have loved and marveled at, at the production of was when you did Showboat a couple of seasons ago. Right. First of all, that's Rob Ruggiero, who's also an incredible story. This is like a local guy who turns out to have sort of Broadway chops as a director. Rob has done a dozen shows for us, mm. every one of them spectacular. Showboat was a very interesting piece. And, and well, he did Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. And I had avoided doing Fiddler on the Roof, even though, uh, you know, I was friends with the, all three authors mm. uh, for a long period of time. And uh, because I was never sure that I could get the production I wanted, Rob gave us that production. But Showboat was interesting because we redid the whole top of the second act of Showboat mm. uh, to accommodate the good speed and to accommodate what we thought would be a better production. And we went to Alice Hammerstein. And we asked her permission and to uh, the book writer. Um, um, oh, I'm blocking her. Oh, what's her name? Anyway, her niece, mm. who was the conservator. Mm. And uh, uh, we presented what we wanted to do. And they said, sure. And one of the things that we had learned in the process was that uh, Hammerstein and Kern had done a dozen different productions right. way of doing it themselves when they were alive. Because I mean, it could like one version runs four hours. Right. Um, and so you worry away, you get a cut. And then a lot of it has, as was the case with Little Johnny Jones, a lot of it had language that was either appropriate to the era or shocking even when it was staged. Right. And, and you had to make some decisions about how far to go with that. And they gave us the permission to do it, and now it is the official licensed version of the show. Is it really? Yep. Wow, that's awesome. And Rob, again, it was Rob's concept. And, you know, first of all, he's wonderful at theater works, the work he does here mm-hmm. in town. Uh, in Hartford, but at the same time, he—I mean—the shows he's done for us are just wonderful. Yeah, fabulous. This year, I had Robert Jarrett direct me in a show for one day. I believe I tried his patience as much as well, any human being possible. Yes, you. <laughs> you should be. All right, so um, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more of Michael Price. To meet the needs of an aging theater audience, I'm developing a version of Annie that takes place in assisted living instead of an orphanage. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Jackie Filson and Lily Tyler. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by Donnie Osmond. For show pages, articles, and MP3s of Food Schmooze, the musical, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, I could tell you Pope Francis is our guest, but I'd be lying. And now, back to Colin. All right, we're back. We're back with Michael Price. Uh, Michael Price has been uh, producing shows at the Good Speed. See, I, this the problem is Michael and I start talking during the breaks. <laughs> I come back and I have no plan whatsoever. <laughs>
whatever. Um, well, one thing I know we wanted to talk about was um, one of the other ways that you and I met was sort of in the environment of government support for the arts. So you were and still, I guess, maybe are involved in. Is there still actually a Connecticut Commission on the Arts? Mm, Not there's, really. a con there's an advisory commission on the arts, of which I'm still the chairman. Yeah. Uh, but when it, when it moved from its own unit to uh, the Department of Economic and Community Development, we became advisory. And see, I do feel as though, you know, I mean, I think maybe other states are doing this better and more affirmatively. I mean, I don't know how much you feel comfortable saying about this. Um, but when it, whenever something like the arts gets subsumed into something else, becomes part of tourism, becomes a part of economic development, well, that can be good in the sense that the arts really are an incredible tool an engine for economic development. But you have to kind of start with the arts, not sort of hope to get somewhere else with the arts. Well, what happened was that we sold ourselves so well as an economic engine, and and that's how we gained uh, importance. We You could talk about cultural life. You could talk about enrichment of people. You could talk about the education work that the arts do. Uh, and at the same time, um, what really grabbed government support was the economic uh, aspects of, of what we bring to a community. And uh, I guess we sold it so well that here in Connecticut we got assumed by the uh, Department of Economic and Community Development. But you kind of – I feel as though – we've been having this conversation around here a lot that even looking up to Massachusetts, you feel like you know the arts is a starting point for a conversation as opposed to something that sits under some kind of larger umbrella. And I assume you, you would want it to be that, that, that the arts – they just branch out into so many different directions and do so many different things that, that they kind of need to stand on their own. And there needs to be, I mean, one thing you used to do is hand out grants, you know. Right. Well, I, I think that in some ways uh, the state of Connecticut is one of the wealthiest states in terms of the arts in, in the country. I mean, we have five producing, six producing theaters, in, including the O'Neill. Uh, we've got great art galleries. We have got good institutions of of theater and 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 the visual arts and music in the state of Connecticut. This is a very rich state in terms of the arts, and uh, so whether government supports it to the ability that that it should ha receive, I'm not sure. But I can tell you that the public in the state of Connecticut support the arts very very well. Yeah, I mean, my theory is we almost have a better art scene here than we deserve. Um, I mean, in terms of how well we take care of it, it just we, these things just seem to flower here, and it really, and our theater scene in Connecticut is as good as it's ever been. I mean, actually, I feel that uh, that Darko, who he, Darko did like four shows for you, he before. did four shows for us, and the big problem is that he, now he's too busy at Hartford Stage and on Broadway to come back and do more shows for us, right? Um, but, I mean, a lot. once again, a lot of the people who sort of wound up in other theaters around the state did sort of start out at... Uh, yeah, but but I have to say one thing about the arts and, and, and our present governor, Dan Malloy. Mm -hmm. uh, he recognized the difference between producing theaters and roadhouses mm -hmm. uh, and, and the booking houses. So, uh, you know, and Dan gave the theaters, the producing theaters in Connecticut, a lot of credit mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. Uh, I had knock on wood for him. Give him a walk on. Oh, you can't. You, you, I keep forgetting. You have no pull anymore. You can't do. No, that. I don't have any pull. What are you going to do? Well, you know, I sit on the board of the Johnny Mercer Foundation, mm. and I sit on the board of the Tony Awards and the American Theater Wing. So I've got enough to do in my life. Do you? Um, how do you feel about musical theater these days? I mean, just going back to that earlier question. Um, 
you know, as you uh, when you I don't know how often you go into Broadway to see what's up there, or whether you see everything that's up there. I mean, do you feel like it's in good shape? Do you feel like too many pop stars, too much Bono, Cindy Lauper? Cindy Lauper oh, actually has a big I hit. Mean, but, you know, yeah. it's you know, you have to un- one understands the theater is also a part of show business. Mm-hmm. So you know, the Bonos are fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, the Carol Kings are fine, are just great. You know, try to get a ticket to Beautiful. It's right. tough. Or Kinky Boots or, or, or Mormon. I mean, you know, it, it's, theater is great business. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got great stars doing, you know, Delicate Balance with Glenn Close mm-hmm. now and John Lithgow. Uh, there's great stuff being done everywhere. And, yes, I do see every Broadway show because as a Tony voter, I'm required to oh, do that. Oh, you have to, yeah. I think I may be. I'm going in uh, right after Christmas. I may see Disgraced, which I thought. Oh, I hear it's wonderful. Yeah. I haven't not had a chance to see it yet. And then the same guy, the same playwright, has a, another play at New York Theater Workshop, which I. Oh, you know what? You know what has been amazing. Did, you didn't happen to see the um, back rack reimagined that they did at um, New York Theater Workshop? No. Did you? That's that's a show they could play at good speed. Not that you have any pull there anymore. But yeah, no, I have no pull. I throw it out there. Um, we're talking to Michael Price right now. Our number, if you want to call in, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Do you have favorite people that you've worked with over the years, people that you just, you know, I mean, you know, people that you just felt very simpatico with? Oh, a lot of them. Uh, you know, and you named two of them earlier. You know, Rob Ruggiero, who's the head of Theater Works here mm. in Connecticut, in Hartford, actually, and Darko Trezniak, who's now the head of the uh, – uh, Hartford State, the artistic director. I really like those guys. John Lee Beatty, the designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alejo Vetti, who's the, the costume designer. Uh, you know, we've been very, very lucky with the people we've worked with. Who was the guy who, you had a guy who used to specialize in costume changes. I think he was a, he was a local guy from Weathersfield or someplace that. But he was the guy who could stand off in the wings and get you out of a costume and into a different costume. Uh, 38 years. Yeah. As our wardrobe master, John Ricucci. That's John Ricucci, yeah. John, the, the cooch, yeah. who does the work of three people. Cooch can dress you and undress you in 30 seconds right. or, or less. People would try to steal him, right? People would come in and say, oh, no, well, you've got to come to New York. No, nobody can do what you do. They, they wanted him. As, every, every actor who's ever worked here who had a choice of having a dresser in New York wanted, wanted the cooch to work for him. But Rakuchi's not leaving. He's staying with us. He's still here. He's staying there. Thirty-eight years. I did know. actually. I did a column about him. I spent. I spent a whole night with him, except for like going into the women's dressing room, which he could do, and I couldn't. But, but just I. I watched him do this, where the good speed does not have a lot of wing space, really. As you walk off stage, there's just not that much room, and it's also a little bit of a trip to get back to the dressing room. Right. So he would stand there, and and it, it, it's thirty seconds in fully in and out of two different costumes. Right, and 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 not only that. But the, the trust in him is by actors is amazing. Mm. You know, they know that when when John dresses them, it'll be done right. Yeah, they're not going to walk out on stage looking funny. No, not at all. Um, the, I mean, that's we should say what, something about the good speed, which is that there are physical limitations about this space. I mean, there just there isn't a lot of space to the sides. There's not too and there's, there's no a, space above. There's no draw. There's no you know you can't trap the stage. You can't fly on that stage. I mean, we flew Peter Pan, yeah. but you can't fly drops out. There's no room left or right, you know. But we manage. We manage. Does, you know. Are there, I mean, particularly for choreographers, I assume, like, for example, Dan Serretta for years, I mean, he was the master of that space, right? He could figure out. And one of the things I noticed that he would do was he would work vertically on that stage. The stage, the playing space on the stage itself is small. There's just not a lot of room to spread out. So when you, when, first of all, whenever you see... Like at Damn Yankees, which you did recently, 
you know, there's this thing seems with baseball bats where the baseball bats are missing people's heads by like a well, quarter of an inch. There was a baseball bat that ended in the theater. There was a, an actor that ended up in the orchestra. I was pit. there. I was there for that. Oh, that night when he uh, fell into the, the pit. The poor yeah. trombone player. Oh, he's such a sweet guy. But he hurt his shoulder and his trombone get a little messed up that night. Yeah. There's just no room to move on the stage. Yeah. And so what a lot of the choreographers do, and when you go to the good speed, you notice it. They work vertically. They have people going yeah. up and down as opposed to from side to vertically, side. Vertically, a little bit side to side, you yeah. know. But yeah, there's some know. side to side. So we're running out of time here. But we should, I should quickly say you are ending your time uh, with Holiday Inn. Further deepening the hold that Jews have over Christmas, you, <laughs> you, you and Irving Berlin, uh, have, and Johnny Marks, and Johnny Marks have teamed yeah. up to. Was that was this a particular choice for you? I mean, did you say, "All right, I want my last show to be X, Y, or Z"? No, yeah. but uh, when the staff brought this show to uh, to me, I said, "Wow, this is dynamite!" Yeah, and we've added four extra weeks to the run. You know, it's the longest running show on the main stage in in the time I've been there. Is that really true? Yep. Yeah. It, and this has been the best season we've had in 10 years, too. It, it really has been a pretty amazing season. And yeah. people are just, uh, it, it was damn Yankees, Fiddler, and, and this. And we could have run Fiddler another few weeks. And uh, I think we kind of squeezed two more weeks out of the Holiday Inn. Oh, you absolutely could. And, uh, the Holiday Inn is great. I mean, for people who haven't seen it, I think it runs through January 4th. No, no, no. It no? runs through this coming Sunday. And this that's coming it. Sunday? That's yeah. it? All right. Boy, Edelstein did just squeak in there then. Um, all right. Well, I, we were essentially out of time. If you have like a simple a message you'd like to give to the piece of people of Connecticut. You yeah, got Colin, mm-hmm. the, the, the most important thing is that uh, as I go forward, mm-hmm. one o'clock every day, <laughs> I'll tune to 90.5. You finally have time really to give me the attention that I deserve. Right. But I have important. to go out to my car to hear you. <laughs> it's a problem. All right. Michael Price, great to visit with you. It's been a long, wonderful career. You brought a lot of smiles to a lot of faces including mine, on Saturday. So uh, thanks for being with us. Tomorrow, a show about lying, something that never happens in the theater. Ladies and gentlemen, the new Goodspeed Opera House presents NBC's The Voice, The Musical, starring John Ashcroft as contestant number 14. Let the eagle soar.